How's it going everybody and welcome back to episode number 5 of the Inline-G Flute Podcast with me, your host, Inline-G. It is so good to be back guys. Episode number 5. Can you believe it? Do you know I just read on the internet about 2 minutes ago that 90% of podcasts do not get past episode 4. So I think there's 1.8 million podcasts in the world that don't get past episode 4 and we're down to 200,000 of people who make it past that landmark. And then after that, only 1% of those po- or no, yeah, 1% of those podcasts survive after 20 episodes. So if we check in here after Christmas, maybe we'll be past episode 20. Is that after Christmas? 15 weeks from now. What's that? 3 4 months. Yeah, that's Christmas time, baby. Yeah, so after Christmas, we'll check in and we'll see how far we get. But it is amazing to get the episode five. I've had a blast. Episode four was the most successful so far. The numbers are getting higher. Unfortunately, more people are listening on Spotify. Not unfortunately, but you know, I do all this effort for video podcasts, and you guys are just out there listening to my my beautiful voice. And you don't even see do even see what I'm wearing today, which is so appropriate. So for anyone on the uh, the video podcast, thank you very much for tuning into this well-edited, professionally shot, gorgeous podcast as I sit here in my beautiful studio sucking on a beer. Um, the, uh, the t-shirt I'm wearing, I don't know if you can see it up there, it is, it is Friends Across the Barricade, which is a, it's a fictional organisation from the TV show Derry Guards, where um, young Catholics and young Protestants are brought together to try and make friends across the barricade. It was a beautiful gift from my girlfriend. So I'm wearing it today because we're getting into a topic. We're getting into a juicy topic. We're getting into my favourite one. We're going to be we're going to be waxing lyrical, as I said so much recently. We are going to be talking this week about a subject very close to my wee Belfast heart, and that is the flute bands and the flute band tradition of Northern Ireland. I actually don't get to talk about Northern Ireland much on here. I keep my accent... Although I do tone it down slightly for you guys. I can hear myself in my brain. I can hear my brain going, you're a wanker, stop talking like that. But it's, <laughs> I, I have to put on an understandable accent. But I don't get to talk about Northern Ireland as a topic very often. So I'm back on the beer today for the occasion. I actually am recording at half past 12 on a Tuesday night. <laughs> so I'm allowed a beer. This week we're on Gilden Couch. We're switching up the couch. And oh baby, it's lovely. So yeah, I'm back on the the beer for this very special episode. I'm kind of, I want to be, you know the way there's always that one old man in the pub who like sits at the end and he's always there and he's like sucking on a hot whiskey, like a hot Powers whiskey and reading a newspaper and he's dressed impeccably. That's the role I'm playing today. So get strapped in. This is going to be a really fun episode for me. I'm going to do my best to condense it all. We are going to be talking about the flute band tradition of Northern Ireland. Now that is one of Northern Ireland's longest and most culturally significant traditions and it has produced a whole host of professional flute players. The flute itself is an iconic part of Northern Irish and Irish culture in general and is by far the most played instrument in a very small country. Now bear bear in mind throughout this entire podcast the population of Northern Ireland is just about 1.5 million people. So it's not big. Now, the most significant person to come out of this 
flute band tradition is of course Sir James Galway, Sir Jimmy Galway. He sits like a wee diamond atop the flute band crown. Now Northern Ireland is a country that doesn't have a music conservatoire or a specialist music college. We only have one professional orchestra, albeit a very good orchestra, yet we churn out every year flute player after flute player after flute player who go on to major music colleges, go on to play in orchestras, become successful chamber musicians, etc, etc. There's too many people coming out of Northern Ireland for not having a music college. The flute band tradition is one of the big reasons why and we're going to talk about it today. So today is going to be kind of like a beginner's guide to flute bands. It's actually, a, how should I say this, a slightly more relaxed version of my bachelor thesis that I did in 2015. I wrote my thesis on this in the Royal Welsh College of Music. Um, and it's great because it means today's episode I didn't have to write a script because somebody else wrote it for me. Me. <laughs> I wrote my notes here after I say it was me and then in brackets it's a me Mario with a question mark as if should I say that it's a me Mario yeah I'm not uh, yeah um anyway I grew up in flute bands that is my background as a musician um as did everyone in the entire Houston family my granddad was the most significant person within that culture um however everyone played at some point Everyone in the family got involved at some point. Even my dad, who only played for one single night, went along to a band rehearsal, a flute band rehearsal. He got made to play the alto flute with the old boys at the back, and he hated it. Because, yeah, well, we'll get on to that. The different alto flutes and bass flutes. Mainly for old alcoholics. So, but, yeah, everyone in my family did it. I grew up from it. My uncle Glenn was also heavily involved in the scene. My grandfather got his 50-year service to the Flute Band Association, all that kind of stuff. The Houston name is kind of flute band royalty, to be totally honest. So, this is going to be a fast-paced episode from here on through. We've got quite a lot to get through. It's going to be a beginner's guide. We're going to hit the big points. We're going to hit the headlines. I'm going to bring them down for you in the hope that when you listen to this episode, it'll interest you. Go check it out. I'll give you guys some links to different bands you can check out, the people to contact. You wouldn't believe the scene. Seriously, when I tell people abroad about how amazing this scene is, and how incredible the level of music making is, especially for amateur, it's incredible. So I hope it just inspires you guys to go on and do something. And what I also hope is to do further episodes on this in the future, potentially get some guests on, interview my family and make it a bit of a series because it's it's not well-documented flute bands. There's not much academic literature on it either and I would hate to see it die out without being documented. So this is a beginner's episode. And as usual, if you want to skip to a certain point, all the chapter names are going to be down in the description. You can find out certain sections, especially for you guys out there that know about flute bands already. You can just fucking scroll down. Away you go. Go pick your favourite bit and get stuck in. There's no point to wait around. Anyway, here. No more fucking around. No more. Let's get stuck in here. Also, full disclaimer, my accent is going to get 100% stronger in this. And yeah, my wee Belfast heart is already skipping a beat. So part one of this podcast is to tell you guys about Northern Ireland. We're going to do this quickly. I don't want to piss anybody off. I don't want to get into political argument. We're just going to try and scoot through this because for some of my viewers out there, especially the less um, the less educated about the international world, shall we say, Americans, you guys might not know the difference between Northern Ireland and Ireland. So we're going to do a very quick summary. This is going to be quick and we're going to get through this because I don't want to start any fights. 
So you can't talk about flute bands in Northern Ireland without talking about politics. Unfortunately, the two go hand in hand. Um, to be honest, you can't talk about anything in Northern Ireland without talking about politics, but sure, here we are. Like People can tell what religion you are in Northern Ireland from where you keep your toaster. And that that's legitimately true. Uh, anyway, so here, let's run through this. Ireland was ruled by the British for about 800 years. It was under British rule. Ireland got independence from Britain in 1921 following a civil war. There was a small group within the island that still viewed themselves as being British and they were loyal to the crown. Most of those people happened to live in the northern province of Ireland, Ulster. There's four provinces in Ireland. Ulster's the most northern. Most of the people who were loyal to the crown and still wanted the British lived in the north. So one of the compromises they made was they would have partition. They would cut Ireland in two. You would have Northern Ireland, a new state developed in 1921, where the people are British, and you would have the Republic of Ireland, or the Free State as we known then, which we will know as Ireland. These days that still exists. They're still Northern Ireland. We're still part of the UK. And there's the Republic of Ireland. There's no border. They're culturally very similar, a little bit of difference. But we will be talking about Northern Ireland today. So, what else? The North, yeah, this, let's get this through as well. The North essentially has people who want to be British and those that want to be Irish. So we have two sides in the North. At the minute, it's actually kind of going towards 50-50, but in you know, 1921, it was much more Protestant British. And that's something I have to talk about as well. So when I say British, I mean Unionist and I mean Protestant. Those are three interchangeable terms. It's not really about religion, doesn't really matter. For the sake of this podcast, I'm not going to explain, it's not a history podcast. British, Unionist and Protestant are interchangeable terms in Northern Ireland, okay? That's why if you are a Muslim and you go to Northern Ireland, people will ask you, yeah, but are you a Catholic Muslim or a Protestant Muslim? So if you're British, Unionist, you're Protestant. If you identify as being Irish and you view yourself as more Irish than British, you're also Irish, Republican or Catholic. Three interchangeable terms. When we say Republican, we mean real Republicans, not like those insane American ones that like tried to blow up Washington or whatever and injected bleach and all that shit. Normal Republicans. So, flute bands are a huge part of British and Protestant culture, very strictly so. There is the odd exception on the other side, but we say this. So, yeah, that's the history. We had a wee war that lasted a couple of years, killed a lot of people, oopsie daisies, and we're still kind of doing that, but sure. Um, and now it's a 50-50 split, and we're more or less grand, all right, we're, we've, we've moved on, we're all grand now, we're gone. Now, as for me, what side do I love? I love both sides, I really do, I relate to both, I love the Catholic side, I love the Protestant side, I think they're all class, I just don't like the middle class, there you are. So, let's move on, what is a flute band? <sighs> it's taken us 10 minutes to even get here, it's taken us 10 minutes to get to the point where I tell you what a flute band is, but this is Northern Ireland, guys, it's such a complicated topic. And sure, it's not that complicated. I've just summed it up in 10 minutes. Fuck's sake. Anyway, here. Flute band. It is what it says on the tin. It's a group of people playing the flute. It's a band of flute players. Now, you do get some percussion in there too. You'll get snare drum. You'll get bass drum. you get a special thing called a lambeg drum. Really cool instrument worth checking out. Now, flute bands, they do two things mainly. They march, or parading as we call it, or... They contest, where they compete on stage in a seated performance. That's their two kind of raison d'etre. And for the sake of this podcast, there are two main types of flute bands. There are what we call melody bands and what we call a silver band. Now, generally, plenty of bands do both parading and contesting and contesting and marching, and they do everything. But generally speaking, melody bands, parading, 
silver bands contesting. I hope you're still with me here. Pull on this string. It's going to get really interesting, I promise. Now, a melody band, they play simple system flutes, generally speaking, usually in the key of B flat. So by simple system, I mean there's a couple of keys on it. It's not like these lovely modern Bowen flutes. A couple of keys, they almost look like a piccolo. They're quite small. Um, and yeah, there's a lot more of this style of band than there is silver band. Melody bands, there's a lot, lot more. Silver bands, which I played in, would play are Bohem modern system flutes. Usually quite a range, so quite like the American flute choir thing. You're getting them in England as well, I suppose, now. But yeah, you know, bass flutes, alto flutes, all that kind of stuff. A lot more, actually, which we'll talk about later. And they prioritize contesting, okay? So silver bands, we contest. Or they contest. Now, there's a lot more melody bands, as I said. We're talking a few hundred. There's a good few hundred melody bands, because a lot of them aren't registered with the band association. They just form up in small communities, a couple of lads together. They do a couple of periods. Um, they also have a few different nicknames that type of band as well that never plays in contests and just parades or marches they have a few different names Blood and Thunder a Blood and Thunder band is kind of the more common name the one we would know in Northern Ireland is a Kick the Pope band which is a, is a, it's a great name for a band to call them Kick the Pope um, obviously they don't like Catholics but if, if that's a surprise to anybody then Jesus you need to read a book lads so, but there will be melody bands that will contest and they will play in a few parts. So they'll have their simple system flutes, but they'll have part one, part two, maybe part three. And sometimes they'll throw in a, a piccolo as well. So a little bit different. For registered bands, so who contest, in Northern Ireland is only 28 compared to the hundreds of ones that parade. There's 28 bands that are registered to compete. So we're going to be talking about contest and bands today. Now we're getting through this rightly. Because we talk about contests and bands, that's what I know, that's what I experience, that's what's more interesting to you guys who are flute players or maybe culturally interested in Northern Ireland. Um, and also back home, we don't talk about these silver bands as much. The ones that get the media are the Kick the Pope, the Blood and Thunder bands, the Rough bands, the boys who are blocked on the 12th and arrest and wheelie bins and all that crack. Let's get this coverage a bit. Let's get the silver bands a bit of coverage. And yeah, to be honest, silver bands are more interesting musically. You know, the, the marching bands, they only play like three songs. They have one brain cell that they just share among all the musicians and they pass it around like a joint. So I wouldn't worry. Right, let's get into the next part of this. So the next part of this podcast is to talk about the repertoire and the types of flutes that flute bands play. This is all going to lead up to a very interesting conclusion, so bear with me. Now, silver bands... They play in contests. Now, they have two main competitions in the calendar in Northern Ireland, okay? We have the Own Choice competition, which is in sort of February time. For a long time, it was held in my hometown of Lisburn. I think it still is, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, and as the name suggests, it's an Own Choice repertoire. So bands will present a small program of their own choosing. There is also the other big competition, which is the World Championships. That's held around November time. It used to be held in the Ulster Hall, which is a beautiful venue in the centre of Belfast. It hasn't been for a while. It's been in Armagh for the last while. I think it was even in Lisbon for a while as well. It's a shame it's not in the Ulster Hall anymore. Beautiful venue. Also the place where Led Zeppelin played Stairway to Heaven for the first time. Very cool. Not in a flute band competition. Like that, that didn't happen. And the way it works is with competitions, there's different categories for different bands. So the lowest category in terms of level is grade four. Then we have grade three, grade two, and the highest level is grade one or senior. 
So it's kind of the opposite system to like the ABRSM grades and all that shit. Um, but it's based on the quality, so it's a fair competition. You don't have 28 bands competing against each other in one finish in 27th place. You build up to it. So in the championships, the world championships, there's a set piece instead of a known choice program, and it's usually a light classical thing. So we're talking things like end of the classical era, start of the romantic era, a lot of Rossini overtures, a lot of Von Suppe overtures, um, the odd Wagner overture, actually, to be honest. I played some of the lighter Wagner overtures. And the way it works is local people in the band scene will arrange this, arrange the music for the competition. And the arrangements are incredible. They're a piece of artistic achievement in themselves to arrange these full symphonic works for 11 different parts just flutes is incredible and they're so well arranged sometimes when i see arrangements for flute choirs and flute community choirs and that kind of thing i think they're not as they're not as skillfully arranged as flute bands but flute bands also weight their players a lot more carefully and stuff like that to who plays on what instrument but anyway that's the kind of rep you get in a flute band generally speaking and when you do the own choice competition it'll be similar kind of rep it'll be they might do a march as well like the military inspired stuff which is where flute bands generally came from is a lot of the british military bases way 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 back hundreds of years ago in ireland they brought that fife and drum thing over the fife and drum band thing and they inspired that so there's military marches we'll also throw in you know tv theme tunes medleys from movies like classical all like classical. Sometimes you all a bit of Mozart, a bit of Haydn, all that kind of stuff. But showy, virtuosic, in your face. We we love that. We love a bit of love a bit of cheese in Northern Ireland. So anyway, the flutes that you get in a flute band, what kind of instruments you get? This is really fucking cool. I cannot tell you how cool I think this is. So to sort of explain where this came from, we have to go way back to a guy called John Murdy. Now Way back in 1909, he changed the game of what flute bands used as their instruments. He conducted a really famous band called the Argyle Temperance Band, Temperance Flute Band. Um, really, really famous band, the Argyle. I'll stick some links in or you can Google them or something, but worth checking out, um, especially back in the day. Um, but anyway, so at that time, up until John Murdy came along into the Argyle Band, all the bands played on simple system flutes, almost like fifes. They would have six holes on them. They would have the odd key. Now, they did have, at that time before Murdy came in, they all played the same instrument. So just a set of 20 flutes identical same pitch same size he first of all decided to bring in the idea of bringing in simple system flutes that were also bass flutes alto flutes and piccolo so it added a bigger sound now these are still simple system flutes they're still made of wood and they're still in the very odd keys of like b flat or d flat or a flat that kind of thing um but then in 1911 he really changed the game because he got a set of ruddle and cart a really famous flute maker in England, from London, a ruddle and cart set of Boehm system flutes. And that was it. So the Boehm system, as the videos can see here, the flute that you guys know, the normal modern flute, that's called the Boehm system. He brought that in to the Argyle band and that changed things big time. Because suddenly you can play in all kinds of different keys. You're much more flexible, really changed the game. Now, they were also mainly wood as well, these instruments, but they were beautiful instruments. A lot of them are still knocking about, actually gorgeous instruments. Um, so he ended up having 11 different parts across seven instruments. So 11 different voices in the music with seven different types of instrument, usually about, I think his band had about 25 flute players at the time. So then more bands started to follow suit and by the 1920s it was commonplace, but then they were still playing these flutes in B flat and D flat and A flat. They were tuned in a different way. So one of the problems with that was they were really hard to repair because they were custom orders. 
And if they got broken, it cost a fortune to get new ones because you had to get them custom ordered from London every time. But in the 60s, a band from Motherwell in Scotland came over and they had the same thing, but they had all their flutes as metal and in concert pitch, normal pitch. And this, the Irish people were blown away by this. Now, quick little uh, interlude. Why was a Scottish band coming over? Scotland also has flute bands. Scotland, especially the west of Scotland, it's kind of like a a diet in Northern Ireland, okay? They still have shite weather and flute bands and religious intolerance. It's, I can't believe it's not Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland light. Northern Ireland with no added sugar. You know, Northern Ireland zero. That's where Scotland is. Anyway, they would come over and do a couple of competitions. There's a handful of bands over there. Still is. So Motherwell come over. They um, bring over their lovely orchestral flutes, metal, sea pitch, modern flutes. The Irish bands go, oh, we want a bit of that. Gisha, a bit of that. What's that? I can't do a Scottish accent. I can't do a Scottish accent. Mm. That beer is very nice. Um, I'm loving it. I'm having a great time in this podcast. Um, so the Irish bands loved it and they went, here, we're going to have a bit of that ourselves. Fucking give us them. We want to get our hands on that. So they started every ordering them and now that's it. Hasn't changed since then. Now your modern band still has that. Now, they have a normal setup. A modern flute band these days, if we take some of the bigger bands, they will have one piccolo. They will have a couple of G trebles. Now, a G treble is somewhere between a piccolo and a concert flute, a normal flute. Yeah, I don't know, a C flute. Um, It's in the key of G and it's in between. Made of metal, not wood, beautiful sound. And it's kind of the rock and roll part of the the flute band. So the piccolo player, and then you have three G trebles across three parts. So one player for each, solo G treble, first G treble, second G treble. Then you have a load of concert flutes, the normal ones. They form the main body of the sound. Again, across three parts usually, you have what we call the solo concert part, which is one to two players, even though it's called solo, there's often two players. We have a good handful of first concert flutes and a good handful of second concert flute, or we call them first C and second C in flute bands. And you can think of them basically as the violins of your orchestra, a good handful of players in each one. Then we go down to the alto flutes, Two parts, normally, solo alto and first alto, sometimes we'll add a second alto part, and then the bass flutes, and the bass flutes will only be one part. And now, recently, a lot of bands have started adding in contrabass flutes, sub-contrabass flutes, like, the sub-contrabass flutes like a fucking drain pipe, they're like this high. Sorry, audio listeners, you can't see that, but my hand's up high. They're like, and they're made of, like, big plastic tubes, they're they're mental, and it's usually, like, in Northern Ireland, we usually have, like, some big... Some big chain-smoking 74-year-old fella called Mervyn. He plays a subcontra and he fucking huffs it. You know, he gives it a good huff. He goes, oh, oh, that's it. That's, <laughs> it's so good, man. It's great. Big, big Mervyn. That's that's a big Mervyn instrument. Um, it's not what I think the makers of these beautifully fine instruments had in mind, but that's what they fucking got. Alan Northern Ireland. So anyway, modern flute bands, they have the uh, this whole scale and range of the flute. So a great sound, given a proper orchestral sound. So to give you an idea of what a modern flute band sounds like, I'm going to play a little excerpt for you. Now, this is from the Ballygown Flute Band. Not one of my bands, but my granddad conducted them a long time ago, and they are a superb flute band. So this uh, little excerpt of them playing some Tchaikovsky last year. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Now, part five of the podcast. I make it part five. Um, we're going to touch quickly on, because people won't forgive me if I don't talk about this, the 12th of July and the Melody bands, the ones we talked about earlier with the little black flutes and their shared brain cell. That's harsh. I do love them. I do love them. So I've told you about the beautiful, wonderful sound of the silver bands and the rich musical heritage and the neat, unique sound. Now we're going to go, because that's the lesser known side. To be honest, the more popular side is the Melody band. The aforementioned uh, Kick the Pope bands. So let's get this out of the way. We're going to talk about them, all right? Firstly, they play simple system flutes in the key of B-flat, almost like a piccolo, one or two keys on them. Most of them, they don't read music. They only know a handful of tunes, just a couple of famous songs, and they all just play the melody. They all just play the tune. Now, do you imagine we're talking like 25, essentially 25 piccolos all playing the melody, walking down the road together. That's that's a Belfast summer. It's fucking, it's rough, it is rough. Uh, we have a season where they do their parading, we call it parade season or marching season, which is the more well-known. And what the bands will do is they'll parade around their local towns and the big event at the centre of marching season is called the 12th or the 12th of July. It's held on the 12th of July. That celebrates the day that King William defeated, the Protestant King William defeated the Catholic King James in the year 1690 in the Battle of the Boyne, which started the kind of Protestant ascendancy in Ireland. King William of Orange, he was called King William of Orange because he was from Holland and that's why we have the Orange Order and all the flute bands and all the things around it are centred around Orange culture because of King Billy. We know him as King Billy, not King William. Um, and believe it or not, people in Belfast, like Protestants still think that Belfast is called Belfast because King Billy's horse was called Bell and she was fast and that is dog shit. But... <laughs> yeah, anyway, so they have their big event on the 12th of July. The night before, you have the 11th of July. I know you all know that, I know, but it's the name of the event as well. We're very unique with our naming. Um, and on the 11th, we will burn bonfires. And that's across the country. Every small town will have a bonfire that they build for weeks. I mean, these things are fucking huge. One of them broke the Guinness World Record last year. I think it was Creaky Hill, wasn't it? Broke the world record for the highest structure. Man made freestanding. I don't know, some shite. The biggest didn't say the biggest bonfire but essentially the biggest bonfire and they light it then these things are fucking huge and we have a huge big party on the 11th of july at midnight when we light the bonfires everyone gets wildly drunk and then that's why the 12th of july then kind of ends up just being a bunch of hungover lads big red faces wearing rangers tops and you get the all-american maybe going past in the car going what's the finian what's the finian don't I, i'm not even gonna explain that but yeah 12th of july is a fucking mess it's brilliant fun but it is a mess especially so yeah the bands you'll have each band in a small village and they'll all join together in the 12th for their local area and do a joint parade there's a good handful of them across northern ireland it's a whole day thing in the morning you parade quickly around your local area on your own as a band and then you join up in the main area with the other bands later on when i played in a band in ballymena um we used to parade in the morning in the 12th down the fucking dual carriageway swear to god like down the motorway or the highway used to parade down there at seven in the morning close off the roads there was about four sheep watching us oh man burn that time um one cool thing to check out is a weedy bin once got arrested on the 12th of july there's a video of that where um an orange band were walking past and a catholic guy came out and he wasn't very happy with the orange band or the flute band walking past so he threw something at them and then went back in his house and they came along and jumped in his garden and took his big fucking weedy bin and threw it through the window. And then the police came to, I don't know, sort it out with them and stuff. And they took the weedy bin away as evidence. But it looked like they were arresting the weedy bin and it went fucking viral. Free the weedy bin. It's a great time, lads. It's a great time. So 
Anyway, I'm going to give you a quick sample of what those kind of bands sound like so you can hear the difference. This is the White Rock Fruit Band playing Follow Follow, which is a song for the Scottish football team Rangers, who are the Rangers are an ultra unionist Protestant football team, and their rival Celtic are ultra uh, Republican Irish. So Rangers and Celtic are so popular in Belfast as well. The lyrics to the song, <laughs> if you want to know, are can I remember this? Follow, follow, of course I can remember it. Uh, follow, follow, we will follow Rangers. Up the falls, Derry's walls, we will follow on. Dundee, Hamilton, fuck the Pope and the Vatican. If they go to Dublin, we will follow on. Poetry. So anyway, we're going to wrap this episode up. We're going to go to the last section of this, the one that a lot of you probably have been waiting for. And the thing that I'm genuinely most proud of about the whole Northern Ireland band scene is Mr. Jimmy Galway and the band influence, the influence that flute bands had on him and vice versa. Um, So Jimmy Galway is flute band's most famous son. Now, for those who don't know Jimmy, and you stop saying Jimmy, Sir James Galway, He's considered the greatest flute player of all time. And I mean, to be honest, I've said this twice already in this podcast and I've had multiple messages from people saying that's not true and blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, it's not true. He's one of the best. He's not... The only critic I ever hear of Jimmy Galway is that he's too cheesy or he's too kitsch or he's a bit over the top with his, uh, his interpretations. And to be honest, the simple reason for this is he fucking pioneered the style of playing. That style of playing is now viewed as cheesy and kitsch and over the top because he did it so much and so many people copied him and so many people replicated for so fucking long it became a stereotype of itself. But if you listen to Jimmy when he was playing in the 70s and 80s, it is incredible flute playing. It is unbelievable. It is, it's Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So he is the best of all time, right? Technically speaking, he's the fucking best. Maybe Paou comes close to him, maybe Jean-Pierre Rompal, but Jimmy's the Jimmy's the man. Jimmy's the man. He was principal through the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, widely considered the best orchestra in the world for many years. He quit as well. One of the few people to quit. He quit Von Karajan's Berlin Phil because he wanted to go solo. He also played principal flute in the London Symphony for a while and then made a huge solo career, multi-platinum selling artist. He's just, yeah, and he's a sir, you know. But he comes from Belfast. He was born there in 1939. Yeah. And he played with a flute band called the 39th Old Boys Flute Band, who were directed by a guy called Billy Dunwoody, who was responsible for so many flute players. The, the 39th Old Boys was like a, a training ground for great flute players. Um, the three big names that come into flute bands, and I will cover an episode on this at some point, but just so you guys are aware, Billy Dunwoody was the 39th, was like a training camp for young musicians. Incredible. For the actual quality of flute bands, the two that really stand out after that are Arthur Fleming, who conducted uh, Ballyclare Victoria Flute Band. His son, Colin Fleming, is or was the principal flute of the Ulster Orchestra, an incredible flute player in his own right. And genuinely, the third one being my grandfather, who conducted the Ballygarn Flute Band as well, conducted loads more 
um, multiple world championships, lots of things going on. Those are the three big names. Okay, so my grandfather, Brian Houston, Arthur Fleming, and Billy Dunwoody. We'll get on to them in another episode, but just so you're aware. But anyway, back to Jimmy. Yeah, he's amazing. He's brilliant. I could do a whole series of podcasts on him alone, but I won't. But anyway, he fucking rocks. And at his peak, he was the best. That's it. And the thing he's most known for, apart from his incredible technique, is this sound. This tone, the quality of the sound he has is fucking, it's so virtuosic and brilliant and bright and massive. And it's one of the few flute players you can listen to go, that's Jimmy. That's fucking, everyone knows that's Jimmy. It's so different from every other flute player. It's so special. It's so, and he plays these gold flutes as well. And it just, it smacks you in the face as a sound. It's so special. Might not be your cup of tea, but you can't deny the quality of it. Um, if you do, you're just being bitter, to be totally honest. And fuck yeah. Um, now, I'm not saying Jimmy's sound is because of flute bands, but I do think the flute band style of playing had an influence towards Jimmy's sound, and then Jimmy's sound fed back into that, sort of, you know, becoming a, what's the word for that, like a symbiosis, not symbiosis, that's Spider-Man, isn't it? Um, you know what I mean. Something like that. The two ideas sort of fed into each other. So, by nature, in a flute band, when you're playing, you play all the fucking time. When you're playing a concert, you're playing constantly. When you play the flute in an orchestra or even a community band, you don't play that often. In flute bands, you never put the instrument down. Parading or contesting, no matter what you're doing, you play all the time and you play loud. Because you know the flute has limitations, you need to play loud. When you're playing Wagner as a flute band, you blow the arse out of the instrument. We just have to. It's one of the ways we can beat. So flute bands generally, when they teach, they encourage these massive sounds, big vibrato, um, really present tones. Apparently... Well, not apparently. The accent, the Northern Irish accent, really helps that as well because it's a very nasal accent. It's right up here. The Northern Irish accent is this gorgeous one that you're listening to right now. Like Mr. Jamie Dornan's accent or other sex bombs from Northern Ireland. Like Mae McFetridge. <laughs> um, but it's this accent here. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So it centers the sound and brings it really forward. So you can hear Northern Irish flute players tend to have that kind of pinpoint sound. Um, genuinely. Very nasal. So... Um, Jimmy would have been influenced by that kind of sound. I'm just blowing and playing. That would have been his basis as a kid learning. And his uncle and stuff had taught him how to play. And Billy Dunwoody had helped him. And that was the basis of how you play the flute. You play it loud. You blow it. And you try to make the best fucking sound you can. And also, we love to show off in Northern Ireland. We love a bit of virtuosity. I love being a bit fucking here. Watch what I can do. Going to a pub and showing people how fast you can play. That's not a euphemism. Um, and that, that all fed into Jimmy. Now, he left... Northern Ireland at a young age, he went to London, he went and studied with your man, Jeffrey Gilbert, he went to Paris to study with Marcel Noise. he went to fucking do everything after that, and obviously that influenced his sound way more than his childhood in Belfast did, but it still helped, and still formed a basis for it, and then because Jimmy was so successful, he became the poster boy for flute bands, so it fed back in then, and flute band players started copying Jimmy, and wanted to sound like him, and then conductors started wanting to sound like him, and people wanted to play like that, but also, we realised that we could all go on and play professionally, if Jimmy can do it, well why can't we do it, and it started this influx of fucking players going on, and playing to such a high level, I wouldn't be here doing this podcast talking bollocks to you guys from my house in Cologne, if it wasn't for Jimmy Galway, he was the one that sort of made it possible for all of us to think, yeah, we can go and study this. We can go to music college. We haven't got one here. Fuck it, we'll fly to England and we'll get in and we'll go there. Our techniques are not always great. We have great big gaps in our technique. We do stupid shit that we've learned from flute bands, but we have a lot of skills that other people don't have. We, we just have confidence, have a great sound, and we have a sexy accent, which just works a lot. 
And a lot of players came out of that, you know, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head um, that were sort of involved with the Fitnet as well. Gareth McLernan, superb player, I'm sure. Any food players you'll be familiar with Gareth. Um, very active on social media, superb food player. So, fucking superb, to be honest. Um, and you can hear his kind of, you can hear the direct link between his sound and Jimmy's sound. Um, Gary Arbuthnot, if anyone's sort of familiar with Gary. Um, Easting Agnew, I think, was involved with the 39th. She's a superb food player. It's playing in Belfast. as a lot of contemporary music. Um, and even when I was in music college, every year we were at music college, somewhere in the UK, a flute band player got in and moved across and went to play. In a, yeah, so the level of that, when we don't have any proper tuition over there, it's just amateur flute bands. It's incredible. We don't get youth orchestras and all. We do a bit, but not like, you know, not like England does. So, yeah. While I've sat there and blagged on about Jimmy Galway, we're going to wrap this up now. So I'm going to leave you with a bit of Jimmy. I'm going to play something. I don't even know what it is that I'm going to play for you. I haven't decided which recording it is. But listen, if you're not a flute player, just sit down and enjoy this playing. Or if you haven't heard of Jimmy, just sit down and fucking enjoy this. See if you are a flute player and you're thinking, I can't be arsed listening to Jimmy Galway. First of all, grow up. Second of all, trust me in this. Really trust me. Take your judgmental glasses off. Pretend you're not listening to Jimmy Galway. And to be honest, ignore the interpretation. Forget about that. It's the 70s as well. Things were done differently back then. Ignore all that. Listen to his sound. Listen to his phrasing. Listen to the way he shapes the vibrato, the fucking everything about it. Just drink all that in. So anyway, cheers, Jimmy. This one is, he's not dead. I don't know why I'm saying that. (laughs) Cheers, Jimmy. Anyway, thank you very much, mate. And here's a wee recording of The Maestro. Wasn't that something special? Don't I fucking spoil you? I don't know if it was special or not. I don't even know what I'm going to put into this. I'm half pitched. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Fuck's sake. It could have been anything in there. Could have been the white rock playing follow, follow again. Like I was sitting there going, oh, it's not beautiful. <laughs> anyway, here. Podcast is over. It's a beginner's guide to flute bands. I hope you've all got something out of it. I hope it definitely got you interested in the flute band culture in Northern Ireland. It's just to dip your toes into this a wee bit, get the ball going, get the basics covered. It's nothing nothing major. It's get you get you all warmed up for next time. This will be a series at some point. I will definitely continue this theme, but it's nice to get the ball going. Um, in the future, I will be covering other players from this world. I'll be looking at the accent thing. I'll be looking at more in depth because I've heard studies about how the accent affects vibrato and sound. I will be covering that in the podcast. Um, and I'll do my own experiences of playing in flute bands. And what I experienced, tell you some good stories, some legacies, family legacies in that flute world. I'm, as I said, I do want to get some interviews with my family the next time I'm home to talk about this as well. So stay tuned for all that. And as I said, this is based off my 2015 bachelor thesis. Yeah, 2015, that was 
eight years ago. I was only 22. I am only 30 years old for the video listeners or the video watchers. This is what a young man in Belfast looks like. This is what years of alcohol abuse and sectarian hatred do to a man. <laughs> um, fuck. If you want a copy of my thesis that I did in 2015, fire me a message on social media. I would be delighted to send you a copy of it where it goes a little bit more in-depth in depth to what we've just talked about. Now, as always, go like the podcast, go subscribe to it, give it a five stars wherever you're on. If you're on Spotify, give it a five star, subscribe, do all that shit, please. It helps so much. Go follow me on social media. I'm on TikTok now. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, although Facebook's shite, but still go on there anyway. Gareth Houston, Flute on all those different places. If you have any ideas or something you'd like me to cover in a future topic, please let me know. We squeezed all that in. Fucking lovely. Look after yourselves, everybody. Have a great weekend. I'm off to get pissed. Love yous. Mwah.